Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He is the potter and we are the clay. Oftentimes when we read scripture, we need to ask ourselves the question, who is God? Who am I? What is he doing? Is there a command, promise, warning in this scripture? And what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? It's a custom in our church to stand as we read God's word. I'm going to ask you to do such now so that we can dive into the text. It'll be in your bulletins, if not on the screen. But I need you to pay close attention to what is said here. Amen? It's found in Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. And it reads as follows. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. And the word of the Lord came to me, he said, Cannot I do with you, Israel, as this potter does? declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. Jeremiah was told to go to the potter's house where he watched a potter fashioning a pot from clay. He went there not to hear a sermon, but to receive a message, a message that he would then convey to the people of Israel, and God wanted to give him a visual to take back with him as well. Now, because the vessel was not suitable for what the potter intended, he had to remold it, as you saw in the video, into something other than what he had first designed. You see, God is the potter, and we are the clay. He makes shapes. I threw this one in there. He bakes. The baker's in the room. In Jeremiah 1.5, it says clearly this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. So already in, in the womb, God is already making us and forming us and preparing us. The message reads this way. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. He not only makes and shapes, but he also bakes in the furnace of life situation. There is this spiritual refinement that God is working in us. He's doing something in us. He's got to take us through the furnace of life situation sometimes to heat us up and kind of refine us, kind of like what he does with gold to get rid of the impurities, to find out what we're made of. Amen? Amen? God intends to build a character in us to reflect his image. And it's not just that. From the very beginning, God has had plans for us. Amen? Amen. You see, it's not the outward image that makes the vessel, but it's the design that matters. As you can see on the stage, there are some vessels up on stage. And each one has a different design. See, it's not what this vessel is meant to contain. The potter has an intention that he has when he begins to shape 
And just like you and I in this room, each of us are shaped differently. We have different gifts, different talents, different abilities. A vessel is designed to contain something. That there's something that God wants to place within us. A work that he has for us to do. God has crafted men and women as earthen vessels. We are weak, ordinary, as if made of clay. We're frail, vulnerable, and inadequate. But believers are meant for a purpose. And sometimes that purpose for us is insufficient in these frail bodies, these jars of clay. The scripture says that God knows our frame, that we are but dust, not gold dust, but that we're made from dust. And if you look at the scriptures in Genesis, Adam was formed from the earth. And we use dust to dust and ashes to ashes, but the reality is that the word Adam in Hebrew is said Adama, which means red clay, which means earth. So God formed them out of this clay from the ground and then he breathed life into him. He gave of himself, his own essence, he gave to us. And even now as you come to Christ, there is something that he places within us. And in 2 Corinthians it says this, that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power from God and is not from us. So nothing that we do, nothing that we accomplish in life is because of us. It's because of God and how wonderful and merciful he is. I was talking to Pedro earlier as we were mentioning this transition in his life, how now he's on the retro ratio and how wonderful it is to see because we remember. And that's why you see a sense of gratitude in him and a sense of glory because he remembers the, the way he came from. Who would think and think about your own lives, where you currently are and what God is doing for you and through you. Some of you shouldn't be here. There's no good reason for you to be here except that God has a plan and a purpose for your lives. Amen. It says Christians are jars of clay who at times experience sadness, tears, troubles, perplexities, weaknesses and fears. Yet because of the heavenly treasure within us. We are not defeated. There's a power within us that, that somehow there is this DNA that's been placed inside us since the very beginning. God has put this DNA that allows us to survive even the most difficult situations. And if I was to sit down and ask you to tell me your story, there will be some real difficult times that you have gone through, all currently going through. But there is something already that God has placed in you. If you're a believer in this room, God has already placed something. There is a power within this marred jar of clay that God wants the world to see how it is that you will defeat, you will overcome, you will conquer. It's because he knows how frail we are. And oftentimes, I don't know about you, but there are moments where I want to give up. Where I don't want to keep doing what I'm doing on a regular basis. This morning it was 55 degrees in Jersey. And normally we've been running the AC, but this morning the window stayed open and, and I wanted to stay under that quilt. And you know how that's gonna start happening soon, right everybody? You don't wanna get up early in the morning as cold as it begins to get, you're gonna start thinking, man, just five more minutes. <laughs> stay away from that snooze button, amen? That snooze button will get you for sure. Praise the Lord. But in this parable, and this is what it is, when Jeremiah is having this 
conversation and God is talking to him. This parable contains several important principles for God's work in our lives. And I'm going to give you just three. The first one is that our submission to God as the one who molds both our character and our service to him determines to a large extent what he can do with us. As he saw in the video, he couldn't ascend to that first lump of clay. For some reason, there are some people who just resist God's molding and making and shaping. There are some people who just say, no, don't, don't, don't do it this way. And we begin to move and wiggle and there's got to be this willingness in our lives to surrender and to yield to his will so that he can do what he needs to do because he is the potter and we are the clay. Second one is a lack of fervent commitment to God. It can frustrate his original purpose for us. Let me elaborate on that. The fact that you lack the passion, the fact that you're lukewarm, the fact that you're still dibbing and dabbing. This, when, this Thursday, I learned a new word with the men. Uh, it's called, what was it? Wishy-washy. Wishy-washy. Right? We, we, it's an old one, but it's a new word for me. All right? Is it all right? So, all right. The, the young people call it fake, right? That's what they call it now. So it was wishy-washy because we were talking about preferences and convictions. We were talking about some of us have preferences and, 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 and those things are negotiable. How, how sometimes I'll take you out to eat and I say, what do you want to eat? And, and then you say, I want chicken. And we go to the restaurant and all they have is fish and you take the fish. That's what a preference is. You can be kind of moved. You can be swayed. And there are some of us in this room that are still living with a lot of preferences. And I'm going to ask you to begin to live with some convictions, some things that are non-negotiables, some things that you're not going to compromise with. For those in recovery, no matter what, we don't. No matter what. I don't care what you're going through. For husband and wives who said I do and went through these vows, no matter what, we don't talk about the D word. Maybe death, but not the D word. Not the divorce. We don't, we, don't, we don't talk about that. We work it out. We make some vows. And when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you got to believe it that you entered into this agreement to honor him, to love him, to serve him. And thirdly, this whole God remains free to change his intentions for our lives. If he has planned goodness and blessing for us and if we rebel against him, he may then shape us into pots designed for destruction. We see this throughout the Bible. God's intention from the very beginning, in fact, it says, I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope, not to harm you. He wants to prosper us, but along the way, because we kind of get a little tilted and we go a little left and a little right, God's purpose for our lives will then shift. As you can see on this stage, there are many different vessels, and some vessels are honor and dishonor, but he knew exactly what he was going to use that vessel for. In Jeremiah 18.10 it says, And if it does evil in my sight and does not obey, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. And we see this with the nation of Israel. He was going to take a people that was not a people and make them a nation. But in the process along the way, what they were supposed to do, they were supposed to reveal the glory of God through their devotion and commitment. But along the way, despite his warnings, where he said, don't look to the left, don't look to the right, don't get caught up with what the culture is doing, just follow me. 
And they began to go left and right, and God had to change what he had to do with them. In other words, there is this road that God puts us on that he wants us to travel, but often now we get off that road, don't we? Then it takes a little longer. Like how long does it take for us to, you know, uh, get an associate? It shouldn't be two years. Some of us need three and a half years because our GPA is 2.0. I understand that. But there are roads that God puts us on that should not take longer. But because of our resistance, our rebelliousness, our inclination to want to do our own thing, we wind up going left and right. So what he started out with us, now he has to redirect and begin to deal with it. And you see the Israelites, listen, he had to send some of the most horrific, horrible terrorists against them in the Bible. I'm not talking about modern day. I'm talking about in the Bible. Well, when you read about the Assyrians and, and the Babylonians, these guys were no joke. You're talking about now what's going on in the news, but the Assyrians tore the flesh off of their captives. It's important for us to realize and begin to embrace this reality that God had to begin to, you know what? You're rebelling, I got to get you back in line. So if in this room and you have this rebellious spirit, I pray, I pray that you stop. I pray that you would turn away from your wicked ways. And you're saying, well, I ain't wicked. <laughs> All right. All right. The fact that you have to say you're not wicked, there's an issue here, isn't it? So, so what, what I want to do is, you know, like, like for me, when, you know, I, I felt, I, I told God one day, I said, God, how come you didn't make me six foot two, 220 pounds, 4.3, 40-yard speed? I would glorify you in the NFL. Right? But then the word of God came, Romans 9, 20, 22, it says, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? <laughs> so what is formed, say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Look at your neighbor and say, he knows what he's doing. On the other hand, if we are through our own stubbornness, pots headed for destruction, but then we repent, God will begin to shape us into instruments of honor and blessing. Why? Because he is the potter and we are the clay. He makes, he shapes, he bakes, he decides. But along the way, he allows us, man, and, and I always have this conversation with my own son because, man, free will is just something that wrecks me as a father sometimes. You know, when they're young, you know, you tell them go and they say, okay. They start getting a little older. They start saying, why? And then bedtime's at 7.30. Now it's 8.30 because they need milk and they need water and they got to go to the bathroom. All of a sudden, they begin to get this free will inside them. And, and it's like, God, why did you give them free will? <laughs> but you know that God gives us free will so that we can choose him. We can love him above all things and not want to seek and desire anything else. Amen? Amen? The beauty about what you see on the stage is that each vessel on the stage was designed for a particular purpose. And it's not what the outside looks like. It's what it contains. How many of us know some people on the outside look beautiful? But on the inside, they're rotten to the core. Hey? I mean, there are some people that just dress it up well. But you can see by their fruits, by their action, by their deeds, that they don't have a sense of God, a reverence of God, a love of God and God's people. 
in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21, it says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for special purposes, some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. The latter is this sin, the wickedness in our lives, that we would address those things in our lives so that the Lord will be able to use us, make us holy, prepare us to do the good works that he has called us to do. Amen? Amen. But I want you to know that God remains free to change his pronounced decisions and to regulate his dealings with us according to our response to his offer of forgiveness and a threat of judgment. Now, now we see this in the scriptures. The Ninevites were destined for destruction, weren't they? And he lifted up a prophet by the name of Jonah. He said, go preach to them. Unfortunately, Jonah had to deal with this three days in the belly of a fish because he wanted to do it his way. But Ninevites were due for destruction, and God said, go speak to them so that, you know, as I offer them forgiveness, as they, as they come and draw near to me, then I will do something marvelous with them. And of course, we know the story, and if you haven't, Jonah is a profound story because it speaks about many things. Jonah was a disgruntled employee. Jonah wanted to do it his way. Jonah wanted to go where he wanted to go and have a cushiony job, and he didn't want to deal with the Ninevites. In fact, he despised them. But God wanted salvation to come to the Ninevites. And he wanted to use Jonah to preach that message. And sometimes there is something God wants us to do and we resist that. There are some things God wants us to give up and we refuse to give it up. And in this rebelliousness, in this moment where God says, listen, I'm offering you forgiveness. I'm offering you an opportunity. And if you're in this room today and you don't know Christ, God is offering you forgiveness. You're saying forgiveness from what? From living a life apart from him. That's what we call sin. If you've been living a life apart from Jesus Christ, if you've been doing your old thing, self-will has ruled you. Instant gratification, your impulsivity has what's ruled your life, then you're living a life without Christ. So God today is offering you an opportunity of forgiveness. The Bible says that those who don't believe are already damned in their own unbelief. So that's the judgment. That's not something that he wants. He doesn't want that any should perish. He wants all that we should come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He is molding and making each and every one of us for a specific design. And there is something he wants to put in us so that the world can experience the glory of God through a heroin addict or a bum like me or you. The fact that he could take someone like us and do something marvelous, we can't take the glory for that. We just can't. And it's a shame when you get people up there who receive all these awards and thank their producers and, and, their, and their managers and this and that. And at the very end, they, oh yeah, thank you God. And they walk away. When realizing that every gift we have, every talent we have was given to us by God so that we can bring glory to God. Amen? In Numbers 23:19, it talks about this because there are things that are not predetermined and God wants to change. And he said he takes into account spiritual changes in people. In Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. 
Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Think about this. He takes into account the spiritual changes in people. It's not that God is changing his mind. From the very beginning, he doesn't want anyone should perish. If you perish, it's because you're choosing to go that way. God's pronounced promise is that he wants all of us to come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So he takes into consideration the spiritual change. And in James 1.17, it says, there is no deceitfulness in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. Amen? But he retains the right to change his mind and alter his declared promises and threats. We should never, never accept a theology that denies God this sovereign freedom. God can do what he wants, when he wants to, how he wants to. And just like in Romans, who are you but a mere human being to ask God, why did you make me this way? I'm not 6'2", speed. I'm not in the NFL. I'm right here where God wants me to be. And you're right here where God wants you to be. But let me tell you something. Because you're fail and vulnerable and you can't do it on your own, he puts something inside you to make it possible for you to be an overcomer, to defeat, to be more than a conqueror, to not be defeated by the circumstances of life. Now, let me tell you something. I'm not standing in front of you exempt from life's problems. I have a lot of problems. But my God is bigger than my problems. I'll say that again. My God is bigger than my problems. And there's nothing impossible for my God. So therefore, what I've learned to do is I cast my care upon the one who cares for me. I lay it at the cross and I say, God, you got to do something because if you don't, I'm going to try and I'm going to mess up. I've, I've caused so much collateral damage in my life that left to my own devices, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to wreck things. So I want to allow him to do what he does best. And because he has this, this characteristic about him that he's building a character in me, he's making me, he's molding me, and then he's putting me in this furnace of life situation. And during those times is where we find out what you're made of. Amen? Yeah. It's during those times that we find out where your faith is. Amen? Yeah. We're going to find out when you get a report from the doctor, when someone looks at you and says, I don't love you more, when the finances are not what they should be, when you begin to get squeezed by life, and I guarantee you, life will squeeze you, we're going to find out what's going to come out of you. In the middle of the night, some of us still tub our, stub our toes and hit the night table. I don't know who put the night table there. I don't know who put the coffee table in the way, right in the middle of the way, on my way to the bathroom. Like, who does that? That's like a setup, right? I don't know what happens when you step on a child's toy or something. I don't know what comes out of you. In my house now, since I'm, you know, leading with this limp, I'm saying, yo, can you get everything out of the way? I don't want to lift up my leg. I don't want to move. I just want to be able to slide and, and, and get to where I need to get to. Because that's when you're going to know when you stub your toe against the corner of the wall or something, what's inside of you is going to come out. And it's the same way when we find ourselves in life situations. We're going to know what you're made of. In your relationships, husband and wives, you're going to know how committed you are to one another when suddenly you have to address an issue. When you have to address an issue, what are you going to, you know, what you're made of, you know, are you going to be committed to one another? Are you going to stick and stay? Are you going to work it out? Are you going to continue to bring the selfishness that, that has spewed your life with such problems into your relationship? You know, 
It's not in my notes, but I need to pause for a moment. You need to start thinking more of the other person than you do yourself. That's the only way it's going to work. It's not about compromise. I'm not giving in anything up. I don't mind. There's a show on TV, you know, where they, you know, catch you doing some things and they say, oh, they jump out of the camera and say, oh, you got punked. I don't mind being punked for my wife. I don't. I really don't, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm simply saying it's okay. I don't have a reputation to protect. And some of us think, I gotta, you know, I gotta be a man. And it's not about being a macho man. It's about being a man whose gentleness and loves and honors God. And when you come into the church, you begin to serve. You know what I teach the men on Thursdays? You better be a pillar in your community, in your home, in your job, and in your church. If I go to your job and I say, man, can I talk to the Christian here? And they say, ain't no Christian here. Meanwhile, five of you work in that place. I said, well, I ain't seen no Christian around here. You need to be able to be distinguished among those that you're moving about. There's got to be something different about you. Not the way you dress. It's the character. It's the integrity. It's the way you speak. It's the mannerisms that you carry about yourself. Yeah, so you've been in prison for a long time, but you're free now. You're free now. And the medication is supposed to be helping you. So let's just walk through this. Amen? Because here's what God, God has this sovereign freedom to do what he wants because why? He is the potter. We are the clay. Amen? And this is a conversation he has with Ezekiel. For those of you in this room who are thinking, God doesn't change his mind. I'm not saying God doesn't change his mind. I'm simply saying that God has a right to see a person's spiritual change and allow that person to come into the kingdom. I was far from God. I was an enemy of God. God did not intend me to be an enemy of his. But because I was caught up in self-will and doing what I wanted to do, the original design was for me to contain his glory so that the world can see what he can do with me and what he can do with you. But, but along the way, because of self-will and resistance and, and thinking that this culture and this world has something better to offer us, something that will fill the void or someone that will make us popular or, or recognizable. Do, do you, you know, we don't remember who won the World Series last year. Anybody remember? Yeah, Boston fans do. Last one you're going to win. But the point is that, that, that we, you know, we forget these things. We don't, we, you know, we remember these things. Everything is, is new. Everything is happening new. They just dropped a new phone, Right? And I'm already having phone problems with my phone. That's a trick, isn't it? That is like some kind of gimmick. Like my five is already acting up. You know? Do the upgrade. You need it. But God has a right to see a spiritual change in a person and, and, and begin that, to allow that person to come into the fold and become part of the family. We become grafted in, adopted, amen, because of Jesus Christ. See, when we say yes to Jesus, we're no longer a stranger. We become a friend of God. We enter into the family of God, and we can cry out to our Father. We can say, Lord, I need you. I need you because I don't understand what's going on. Like, I came into the church, guys, I didn't know what I was doing. I don't know what I was doing. We came into the church over 25 years ago, and, and we, we didn't know what we were doing. I was still shaving my head. I, I, you know, I was still wearing gold. I was still, you know, I was sitting in the back. I was hiding. I, I was, you know, can't wait for the preacher to finish or I can get out of here. I just wanted to make sure that my wife saw me or that my mother-in-law, if she asked me, yeah, I went to church. 
that's all I wanted to punch in and just make sure that I asked. You know, yeah, I did. I don't want to lie. You know what I mean? I just want to say, yeah, I went. You know, forget about the fact that you came for only five minutes and caught the tail end of the prayer. Right? See, some of us are still doing that, right? Like right now, some of you say, oh, man, he found me out. Listen, I see everything. I see everything in this place. Sometimes I wish I didn't, but I see everything in this place. I'm like, oh, God, not this guy again. You know, but, but it's really profound because look what he says in Ezekiel and the message reads so profound because this is what he's talking about, how he designs, how he changes, how he takes into consideration the spiritual change in a person's life. He says this in Ezekiel 18, 21 to 28 in the message. It says, but if a wicked person who turns his back on that life of sin and keeps all my statutes, living a just and righteous life, he'll live really live. He won't die. I won't keep a list of all the things he did wrong. He will live. Do you think I take any pleasure in the death of wicked men and women? Isn't it my pleasure that they turn around no longer living wrong, but living right? Really living. Now I got to stop there for a moment because I, I highlighted the word really. Really living. Where, where, where we offer ourselves holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Where we offer this vessel unto the Lord and says, Lord, this is your body. This is your temple. There is this spirit that you want to put within me. And, and this spirit is meant to help me to overcome, to illuminate my mind and allow me to be able to overcome the things in my life that I could not overcome before. Prior to me coming to Christ, I had a whole bag of tricks. I had a whole scheme on how I was going to get out of trouble. Okay. I had some stories when the teachers asked me about my homework. I said, man, I got, I got mugged. I got mugged on my way here, and, 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 and you know, they just they took my homework. You know? And some of us will say that with a straight face. Some of us will, listen, some of you, don't, don't be looking at me funny like I'm the only one up here. All right? Some of you got some stories, man. Even in Christ. You guys have some stories. The Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, if you can't do something and say, I don't know how to do it or I can't do it. And can you help me so that I can learn how to do it? Don't come up with a story because we all have stuff in our life that's going on. Someone the other day was asking me, you know, how, how, do, I, how do I find time for, for devotion? How do I find time for this and that? I said, you got to intentionally carve out time of your day to spend with God. There's got to be moments where you carve it out just like you, you know, you watch your shows and you record them and whatever, you know, when it's coming on. You have to carve out time where you shut your phones off, where you're not interrupted and you're spending time with the Lord. Oh, I don't have time, work, this, that, and all that stuff. I say, hey, you need to make time. He says, yeah, but I'm so busy. I said, you want me to pray for you? He says, yeah. I said, I don't think you want me to pray for you because I'm going to pray that God makes you unbusy. And that may mean unemployment. So you need to make time, even in your busy schedule, to be able to spend time with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. He goes on to say, the same thing goes for a good person who turns his back on an upright life and starts sinning. Now, listen to this. Plunging into the same vile obscenities that the wicked person practices. Will this person live? 
I don't keep a list of all the things this person did right. Like money in the bank he can draw on. Because of his defection, because he accumulates sin, he'll die. There is this spiritual death that happens when someone who has been with the Lord now goes out and decides to slide. And to go out. You may not die physically, but spiritually, there's a disconnect that begins to happen. And, and then he goes on and he says this. I love the way he works it in the message. He says, do I hear you saying that's not fair? That God's not fair? He says, listen, Israel, I'm not fair. You're the ones who aren't fair. If a good person turns away from his good life and takes up sinning, he'll die for it. He'll die for his own sin. Likewise, if a bad person turns away from his bad life and starts living a good life, a fair life, he will save his life because he faces up to all the wrongs he's committed and puts them behind him. In case you're wondering, that's what we call repentance. That, that, that's what we call repentance. It's turning away from a life of sin and wickedness and debauchery and turning towards God. He says he won't die. Ezekiel 33, 16, he goes on in this conversation from 13 to 16. It's on your bulletins. You can catch up with it later. If not, it's hopefully it'll be on the screen as well. He says, there's more, son of man. Tell your people a good person's good life won't save him when he decides to rebel. In other words, he's talking here about consequences. Some of us feel like, yeah, you know, God loves me. He'll forgive me. Yeah, he'll forgive you if you truly repent. But there are consequences to whatever actions we've taken, knowing. You see, sometimes it's best for us to not know than to know and not do. You know, the, the Bible talks about, I, I, I rather that, you know, you be hot or cold, right? Not lukewarm, because lukewarm indicates that you know some things, you've learned some things, you've taken some Bible studies, you've been in some classes, you've read the Word of God, you know you're not supposed to engage in that. So he says a good person's life won't save him. Just because he's done all these good things, he says a bad life won't prevent him from repenting of his rebellion. A good person who sins can't expect to live when he chooses to sin. We see this in the life of David when he sinned with Bathsheba and begged God. He fasted. He sat close, you know, like he threw himself on the ground and he wanted God to spare the life of the child that was conceived in sin. God does not participate in sin. So, so, so what happened was, he, you know, God looks at David, David thrown on the ground, and David, he's a king, he's crying. We know David's story, he sinned against Bathsheba. Not only did he sin against, you know, with Bathsheba, he wound up killing Bathsheba's husband, and so on, and so on, and so on. Read the story, it's an amazing story. You don't have to watch TV ever again, just read the Bible. So, so what begins to happen is that he's crying to God because of the condition, and God says, what are you doing? Get up. You think I'm going to allow that? What kind of God am I going to be if I allow that to be displayed in my kingdom? And we have to begin to look at our lives and have an honest assessment of our lives. What am I doing? How am I honoring God? How am I living for the Lord? Because God designed us for a specific purpose. There is something within us that he wants to deposit within us so that the world would know that he is alive and well, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing. Present in all places at all times. He knows your thoughts before you even think of them. The world needs to know that God can take a lump of clay and create a beautiful vessel like you. Amen. 
like me. And it's not so much the vessel, but what the vessel is meant to contain. Like this vessel here is just a glass vessel. I mean, it's no big deal. It's plain. It looks like me Sunday mornings. Plain. But God has a specific design for it, and look what he does. It's not the, the, the vessel, but what he puts in it. Now, now, isn't that a beautiful vessel now? It's what he put in it that makes a difference. He puts himself, he deposits himself in you when you say yes to Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, a good person who's been expects to live. It's true that I tell good people live, be alive, but if they trust in their goods and deeds and turn to evil, that good life won't amount to a hell of beans. They'll die for the evil life. Now, this death can be physical, but most likely it's spiritual. There's this disconnect. I don't know about you, but there are moments where you get distracted, right? And you don't want to pray, right? right? We don't want to read the word, right? And it doesn't take much for us to start acting a particular way, right? It doesn't take much. The things we said we wouldn't do all the things we heard that don't honor God, we begin to, to do. And, that, and that's why we have to stay connected. In fact, John 15 clearly speaks about this whole vine thing. And it's really important for us to understand that. It says, go on. On the other hand, if I tell a wicked person, you'll die for your wicked life and he repents of his sin, listen to this, and starts living a righteous and just life, being generous to the down and out, Restoring what he has stolen, cultivating life-nourishing ways that don't hurt others. He'll live. When a person turns and accepts what the potter intended him to be, God deposits something within you that the world would have to stand up and take notice. The world would have to ask, what happened to you? And then you can say, he is the potter, I am the clay. There are some images on the screen that I want you to see. And hopefully they'll put them up for me as they're working on them. These are just clay pox, kind of like you and me, jars of clay. And they look like nothing, really, just all lumped up together, kind of like we are lumped up together in this room. And then there's the next one. God desires to, to, to do something. He distinguishes. As you can see on the stage, there are many different kinds, many different vessels. And God is going to decide what he's going to do with you. He's making and shaping. He's determining how he's going to use you based on how you respond to the situations of life. But there's something inside you. Put the next slide up. That's meant to shine. It's the spirit of God. And though outwardly we decay regularly, the spirit of God within us is constantly being renewed, constantly alive and well, constantly restoring us, constantly reminding us, constantly reminding us of the power that's found in the name of Jesus. Amen. And then the next one. See, you couldn't tell from the outside what's on the inside until you turn it over. And it contains precious, precious jewels. Precious. God has placed himself within you. Within you. 